This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You are now listening to British Birds, the True Cry podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to British Murders, the podcast that focuses exclusively on British murder cases and serial killers. I'm your host Stuart Blues and this is the third episode of season 9. Before we get into it, let's break the ice. The show's first opening icebreaker segment is this. True facts that sound like bullshit. Did you know there are more captive tigers in the USA alone than there are wild tigers in the entire world? According to the World Wildlife Fund, there are around 4,500 wild tigers and approximately 5,000 captive tigers reside in the USA. That pales in comparison to East and Southeast Asia, where it's thought around 8,000 tigers have been held in captivity. Now it's time for the show's final opening icebreaker segment. Final quote of the day. Better to live one year as a tiger than a hundred as a sheep. That was said most famously by Madonna. This case was suggested by Karen Green via email. We're in the village of Fleckney this week, located within the East Midlands county of Leicestershire. Here are your five quickfire facts about Fleckney. Number one, the name Fleckney may be Saxon or Scandinavian in origin, although it seems Fleckney existed before the Norman conquests, as the pre-Norman spelling of the village name appears in the Doomsday Book of 1086. Number two, the village's motto is Labour is its own reward. It was adopted from Lord King Earl Lovelace, the last lord of the manor. Is it Lovelace or is it Loveless? You tell me. Number three, there's a duck pond in the middle of Fleckney that was once a clay pit used in the Industrial Revolution for brickmaking. Now, I ran out of Fleckney facts at this point, so the next two are about Leicestershire. Number four, Download Festival is a five-day rock event based at the spiritual home of Rock, Donington Park in Leicestershire. The first Monsters of Rock Festival took place there in 1980. And number five, Lady Jane Grey, who was the Queen of England for nine days in July 1553. You heard that right, nine days. She was also executed at the age of 16. She was born and raised in Bradgate Park, Leicestershire. She was also the great-granddaughter of Henry VII. As of the 2011 census, the estimated population of Fleckney was 4,894. Let me quickly advise you this podcast contains elements that may be alarming to some listeners. As always, listener discretion is advised. 
If you visit the Office for National Statistics website, you can access a report each year that details the homicide information in England and Wales. As well as showing trends in homicide and the relationship between victims and suspects, it allows you to break down how many people are killed each year in different age groups. I use the site often to get an idea of how my cases relate to the information, and this week was no different. Did you know that there's an increasing amount of over 65-year-olds murdered each year in the UK? In the year ending March 2022, 93 people aged 65 and over were murdered here. That's almost double the figure for the year ending March 2012, which was 53. I was looking at that age group in particular because this episode focuses on the murder of a 72-year-old woman called Jane Hings, who lived alone in a bungalow on Elizabeth Road, an ordinarily quiet cul-de-sac in Fleckney. When I say that Jane lived alone, I mean that she was the only human in the house. Living with her was her beloved greyhound Paddy, whom Jane essentially lived for. Paddy was her absolute world. He'd been in her life for six or seven years prior to her death after she rescued him from a shelter. A dog that size is no picnic, however, so she often relied on the kindness of her friends and members of the local community to help with walking Paddy. More on that later. A religious woman, Jane went to church every week and was described as being a very private person who often kept to herself. My research indicates that Jane likely attended St. Nicholas Church, seems to be the only church in the village. In her younger years, Jane had been quite the traveller. She lived in the Netherlands for a good while after her worldly travels before returning to live in the UK to care for her parents in their final years. Both of Jane's parents had dementia and eventually passed away. After that, Jane, who was her parents' only child, decided to remain in the UK. It came to light after Jane died that she had told some of her friends that she was the niece of Colin Dexter, the writer of the Inspector Morse novels. It doesn't say anywhere that she definitely was Colin's niece, but it's an interesting tidbit nonetheless. With no immediate family to speak of, Jane was classed as a vulnerable lady, especially after she suffered a fall in 2017 and had to be temporarily taken into a nursing home. Jane fractured her ribs as a result of the fall, and upon her return to her bungalow in mid-June 2017, she was appointed a couple of carers who would visit her twice a day to check up on her, help around the house in any way they could, that sort of thing. With her mobility now severely affected, Jane became even more dependent on her friends when it came to walking her darling Paddy. You don't have to be a dog expert to know that greyhounds need a fair amount of walking to keep fit. One person who would help Jane out on occasion by walking Paddy was this week's villain. At the time of this story's events, Craig Malcolm Keogh was a 25-year-old factory worker living in a caravan a short distance from Jane's home, as he had no fixed address. Not much is known about Craig's background other than he is said to have had a difficult and emotionally damaging upbringing, the details of which must be left to the imagination. Craig would later say that he infrequently did odd jobs for Jane in exchange for cash, but that testimony was not given in evidence at his trial, so the prosecution team was not able to cross-examine him over it. That pretty much does it for the background of Jane and Craig, so we may as well jump straight into this week's timeline. It all began on Saturday, September 23rd, 2017. Craig Keogh had decided to go for a night out with some of his mates in Odeby a town located seven miles north of Fleckney. 
If you go online, you'll find some CCTV footage of Craig in a pub with his trademark Gucci baseball cap on, which he chose to wear backwards, and he's acting like the joker of the pack, which is what he typically did. The group of friends visited a few pubs that night, but it wasn't until they arrived at the Odeby Owl that things took a turn. A couple of staff members at the pub recalled Craig acting in what they perceived to be an aggressive manner, something they believed was the result of not only Craig being drunk, but also due to having used cocaine that evening. They said that because Craig had reportedly offered to sell them some coke, an offer they point-blank refused. Kitchen manager Christopher Murphy was informed of Craig's behaviour and came out to warn him that he had every right to phone the police if he suspected one of the pub's customers was under the influence of drugs. Naturally, Craig reacted poorly to hearing that. Christopher has said of the incident, I believe he said, I'll swing man's jaw, which I took to mean as punching. After being asked to leave for a second time, Craig responded by saying, I'm from Fleckney. I've seen a man get shanked. The pub's general manager, Aaron Watson, was also present that night and recalled how Craig was going up to random pub goers, usually women, and acting in a rather leery manner. He was also approaching people with his arms held out to the side as if to provoke a reaction and get into a physical altercation. Craig wasn't having the most exciting night of his life by all accounts, according to him, as he was heard several times frustratedly saying how it was a shit night and that he could have spent it with a couple of girls he'd arranged to go out with. Perhaps trying to start a fight was his way of making the night more exciting. Craig's night out ended at 1am and the last time he was seen by his friends was at 1.15am when he was dropped off at his caravan. Fueled by an evening of drinking and drug use, Craig had no intention of attempting to go to sleep, not that he'd have had much luck given the amount of cocaine he'd taken. For reasons known only by Craig Keogh, he decided to make his way to Jane Hings' bungalow, inside which the 72-year-old was soundly asleep. It's thought that Craig may have initially planned on simply robbing Jane, as he vaguely knew her and will have likely known the layout of her house due to previously collecting and then walking Paddy. When he got to Jane's bungalow and made his way inside, burglary was not the only thing on his mind. That night, Craig raped poor Jane on two separate occasions before smothering her with her own pillows. He seems to have left Jane's house, but then soon returned, and it will never be known as to what happened on each of the two occasions Craig entered her home. After killing Jane and removing a wedding ring, engagement ring and a crucifix from her person, Craig then decided to burgle her house. If you're confused, so was I. I mentioned earlier that Jane lived alone, and from what I could gather, she never married. Logically, the rings likely belonged to her parents before they died. From Jane's house, Craig took her handbag, purse, mobile phone, and some cash that was lying around before finally making his way back to the caravan. Some of Jane's neighbours would later recall seeing a car speeding away from her home late on Saturday night, by which they may technically have meant early Sunday morning. The driver of the car was clearly intoxicated as the car was smashing into other vehicles in the street as it drove away. Was the car being driven by Craig Keogh? It certainly fits our timeline and Craig's state that evening. Jane's body was found only a few hours after she had been killed by the two care workers that visited her each day. Their first visit that Monday was scheduled for around 7am, which is when they found her naked body. She was under her quilt in her bedroom with her head between two pillows. Attempts were made by the carers to resuscitate Jane whilst the ambulance was on its way, 
but their attempts were futile. One of the paramedics that arrived at the scene a short time later noticed that rigor mortis had already begun to set in, meaning that Jane had likely been dead for at least two to four hours. Once Jane's body was recovered, a post-mortem took place which was conducted by a home office pathologist. When the results came back, the police had to go back on their initial theory that Jane's death was simply unexplained. She had been subjected to a brutal sexual assault by a third party, and although it couldn't be 100% confirmed, it was believed that she was almost certainly suffocated with a pillow. A murder inquiry was launched, and over the next few days, staff from the East Midlands Special Operations Unit Forensic Sciences gathered as much forensic evidence as they could from Jane's bungalow. It was apparent that Jane's house had been disturbed, likely by the same person who had violently attacked her. As well as gathering anything they could that might provide them with the opportunity to recover DNA, the forensic team also checked the bungalow for fingerprints and footwear impressions. The first crucial piece of evidence recovered was a steel tongue bar that was found on Jane's body. Jane's tongue was not pierced, so the piece of jewellery must have belonged to her attacker. The story will continue after these quick messages. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now, back to the story. Craig's Gucci baseball cap that he'd worn that night was also left behind, which provided another key piece of evidence in the murder inquiry. Interestingly, the DNA results came back within a day of being sent off. That was because of a new partner in agreement with a private company called Cellmark, the UK's most experienced DNA testing company. That partnership meant that the typical frustrations of waiting in a long queue for DNA results to come back could be bypassed, so by 6.30pm on the Monday, a DNA hit was generated. Craig Keogh's DNA profile, which was on the National DNA Database for a crime he must have committed in the past, was found on the tongue bar recovered from Jane's body. His DNA was also found on the Gucci cap, which was found wedged between the head of Jane's bed and the wall behind it. Further tests would reveal that Jane's DNA was found in the middle of one of her pillows, whilst Craig's DNA was found at either side of it. Essentially, that all but proved that Craig held the pillow on either side, hence the location of his DNA, and placed it over Jane's face, suffocating her, hence her DNA in the centre. Craig's DNA was, in fact, found on all three of Jane's pillows. But what was Craig doing while all this forensic testing was going on? He wasn't exactly living the life of Riley, but he was doing his best to enjoy himself after brutally murdering an innocent woman. For the remainder of Sunday, the day on which the murder occurred, Craig was said to be in a buoyant mood by those who interacted with him. He was described as being happy and was frequently making jokes as he usually would. To Craig, it was almost as if the murder hadn't happened. That, or he wanted to put on his usual performance of the Joker to prevent anyone from becoming suspicious and asking him any uncomfortable questions. One of the first things Craig did was to sell the jewellery he'd stolen from Jane's bungalow and from Jane herself. 
CCTV footage would soon be recovered, which showed Craig walking down a street, carrying what appeared to be a black bin bag, inside of which were Jane's stolen possessions. He was then caught on the CCTV cameras of some shops around Leicester after pawning the jewellery, which was later confirmed as being Jane's by her friends. The total received for Jane's £1,000 value jewellery was around 100 quid. Craig's DNA was recovered from it when the police paid the shop a visit. Jane's mobile phone was dumped in a drain near a betting shop in Granby Street by a young lad who was caught doing so on CCTV. An appeal for his identity led to him coming forward, and when questioned by the police, the young lad explained that Craig had randomly approached him in the street and asked him to get shot of the phone. With the money, Craig bought a new tongue bar for £60, explaining to his friends that he'd swallowed his old one. On the Sunday afternoon, Craig treated his mates to a carvery and some drinks. The usually strapped-for-cash murderer explained how he had found a bag of cash containing 200 quid in Leicester earlier in the day, hence how he could afford to treat them to a nice meal. In reality, the money had been stolen from Jane's purse. As you can tell, there was a hell of a lot of evidence leading the police to Craig Keogh, so his days were numbered. Just two days after killing Jane Hings, Craig was awoken shortly after half twelve in the afternoon by police officers banging on his caravan door. Remember a few hours earlier, confirmation had come back that the man police were looking for was Craig Keogh. That was when his DNA results came back and matched the DNA taken from Jane's jewellery and the tongue bar. He was then tracked down to the caravan. Bodycam footage of the arrest is available to view online should you wish to see it. Once back at the police station, Craig was questioned and explained that on Saturday evening, Jane had offered him cash in exchange for sex, an offer he readily accepted. The sex was consensual, he said, before insisting that Jane had been alive when he left her home after her saying she wasn't feeling well. Craig then denied having raped, murdered and robbed Jane. In one last-ditch attempt at defaming Jane's character, Craig told the interviewing officers that she drank alcohol to excess regularly and that it wasn't the first time she'd given him money to have sex with her. None of what Craig told the officers had an ounce of truth in it. Craig Keogh's murder trial took place in mid-March 2018 and lasted just five days. Case prosecutor Mary Pryor QC, now Casey, read out an agreed summary of Craig's interview answers after he was arrested. Not only did he claim that Jane had paid him for the sex, he also claimed that she had enjoyed it and said, oh yeah, several times. Explaining away the 200 odd pound he claimed to have found in a bag in Leicester and spent at the Carvery, Craig said Jane had given it him after they'd had sex. 200 pound was the going rate according to Craig, as that's what he claimed Jane had paid him on a previous occasion. Remaining arrogant and displaying zero signs of remorse throughout the trial, Craig refused to give any evidence and continued denying any wrongdoing. Forensic pathologist Stuart Hamilton was called to the stand and testified the following. Given the findings in this case, I am of the view that external airways obstruction is the most likely explanation, what most people would refer to as smothering. Dr. Hamilton also confirmed that Jane's injuries were so horrific there was no way the sex could have been consensual. It would have been too painful. Jane's face, arms, body, neck and ribs were all badly bruised and she had scratches all over. It's worth noting that when Dr. Hamilton was cross-examined by case defender Jeremy Dean KC, the pathologist was asked, You could not say that person A's intention was to deliberately obstruct person B's airways? 
The doctor replied, no. Still, the jury believed that Craig had smothered Jane and came back with their decision after deliberating for four hours. They unanimously found him guilty of murder, two counts of rape and residential burglary. Mr Justice Jeremy Baker handed Craig Keogh a life sentence on March 20th, 2018 with a minimum term of 32 years. He'll be next eligible for parole on March 12, 2050, at which point he'll be approaching 60. In his closing statement, Mr Justice Baker said, The reason why you decided to kill Jane Hings was to prevent her from being able to identify you as the person responsible for having burgled her home and raped her. Bearing in mind what you had done, your conduct the next day was callous in the extreme. DCI David Swift Rollinson, who led the murder investigation, said, I cannot imagine the terror and pain that Jane suffered that night at the hands of Keogh. She was a vulnerable, fragile lady whom I'm afraid would have suffered greatly during the sustained attack. Michelle Wright was a close friend of Jane's and had the following to say after Craig was sentenced. It's heartbreaking and shocking the level of violence that was used against her. I think about it most days. It plays on my mind what she went through and the horrific pain and how scared she must have been. She had no family so I felt she needed someone fighting her corner to represent her so she wasn't alone in this. In a way it has been good to face him and look at him in the eye and I guess it's sort of closure now. Michelle's referring to attending the trial every day. If you're wondering what happened to Jane's beloved greyhound Paddy, he was taken in by Michelle. She said, I will look after Paddy for the rest of his life, just as Jane wanted. And that was the story of British murderer Craig Keogh. Thanks again Karen Green for suggesting that one. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I've got five new reviews to read this week. Being His Mum left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com titled A Podcast Series To Die For. It reads, I'm still playing catch-up with all the episodes, but this is the best true crime podcast I've found. Clear and to the point. Full of info. Thanks, Stuart, for these. Keep them coming. P.S. Just seen your video of the Kraken light. Pissing myself laughing. More DIY, please. That video is ridiculous, by the way. It's me making a custom light for my office out of an old crack and rum bottle. And I am not Mr. DIY. It's a piss take. It's quite funny. If you want to watch it, it's on my YouTube channel. Red Skull left a five-star review on BritishMurders.com titled Love the Intros. It reads, Such a delightful listen. Stuart is such a good storyteller and on point with his facts. Keep up the good work. Marge from Bulara, Australia, left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts titled Love This Podcast. It reads, The stories are unusual and interesting, and I love the way they are told. Intro is very cute too. Narcotic1958 left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts titled Bro. It reads, Stuart nails it when it comes to true crime and seems like a guy who would do well hanging out with my crew of old miscreants. (laughs) miscreants and finally nancy left a five-star review on britishmurders.com titled great podcast it reads hello from canada really enjoy your show informative concise and dare i say entertaining i especially enjoy the bonus interview episodes your guests are interesting and you do an excellent job thank you for a great show 
Thank you, Beanie's Mum, Red Skull, Marge, Narcotic1958 and Nancy for leaving the show such lovely reviews. Suppose you'd like to leave a review of the show and have it read on a future episode. You can do so on iTunes, Facebook, Podchaser or at BritishMurders.com. You can also leave star ratings on Spotify. If you'd like to support the show on Patreon or donate on a one-off basis via Buy Me A Coffee, you can find the links for each on my website. Thank you, Nicoletta Floria, for buying me a beer via buymeacoffee.com slash britishmurders. I really appreciate it. I hope I've said your name right there. Please continue emailing case suggestions to britishmurderspodcast at gmail.com or message me via social media. You will not only get the episode covered, but you'll get a cheeky shout out too. And that does it for another episode. I've been Stuart Blues. This has been British Murders. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Cheerio!